Hello and welcome to the Spine Nerd Podcast. My name is Dr. Brian Hovis. And my name is Dr. Nicholas Carvelis. And we are returning from Las Vegas after attending the North American Neuromodulation Society's 2020 annual meeting. Um, and this is quite possibly my favorite uh, medical meeting that I attend every year. Uh, it's one of the best places for our field of interventional pain management to for people to kind of show the new things that are going on, really get a pulse of what's happening across the country with different um, providers that do things uh, such as we do. Um, and so Dr. Carvelis and I just really wanted to kind of digest the meeting and, and talk through it a little bit. Um, and so um, Dr. K, you want to kind of start us off in terms of what's your, what was your overall just like big, big ticket takeaway from uh, this year's meeting? Yeah, I think one of the most interesting and, and exciting things that I took from that uh, conference was, and of course this isn't you know isolated to this conference, this, this has been happening uh, across the world over time, uh, but uh, I think this conference drove it home for me is that we have progressed so much in regards to the advances with neurostimulation treatments that we are now at the point where we can start to say, okay, for this specific patient, for this specific pathology, I, we can at least start with this specific neurostimulation technique uh, and approach. Now, I th as Dr. Hoveis and I will talk about, I think it's very important to uh, continue to know and consider the fact that each patient is going to be different because even though we may say uh, that hey we think this specific technique is good for this pathology understand that there's still an art of medicine and and that just like for our medications and for other procedures and uh, other interventions there's still going to be variability from patient to patient and being able to and willing to adjust uh, uh, when necessary uh, all that being said, I do think we're starting to get to the point where we can fine-tune, um, you, know, you know, we don't just have one approach to neurostimulation, we can fine-tune what exact technique we're going to be using for these specific pathologies. Um, and along those lines, uh, because we're now, you know, getting to that point, we're also getting to the point where um, each uh, device and, and each company, which I think is really healthy because there is you know, so much competition um, in this world of neurostimulation and, and, and competition you know, is going to um, really push advances. Um, I think we're also getting to the point where we're really uh, trying to make these devices not only uh, as functional as possible in terms of their efficacy, but also um, uh, as patient-friendly, uh, as user-friendly as possible. So I think it's really awesome to see those those advances taking place as well. Yeah, um, that wasn't one takeaway. Sorry, lots of takeaways. <laughs> lots of takeaways, but I mean, which is which is the fun thing, right? I mean, the the reason we brought this up when we did our little series on introducing neuromodulation, right? The, the fun thing about neuromodulation is it is science and it is technology, right? And and as much as I love the comparison to the iPhone, right? The iPhone progresses every single year. Our technology progresses every single year. And, you know, especially, you know, the five years that I've been going to this conference, um, it is uh, of 23. So just for reference, this is not something that's brand new, right? This is a conference that's been around for 23 years. This is a field that's been around for a long time. But, uh, you know, the advancements that have happened, particularly over the past, you know, five to seven years, 
uh, have been leaps and bounds almost on an annual basis in terms of what we're able to do with this technology and then what we're able to see for patients. Um, my biggest takeaway was just the breadth of data that's now available, right? I mean, I th you know, one of the things that's always challenging um, in medicine is that once we have studies that come out and uh, establish something as helpful or as the potential standard of care, um, we have data that shows that it actually takes about 17 years for implementation of new data into uh, to become standard of care. Well, if we go back and we take, okay, we say what, what was the most landmark article in the history of neuromodulation, uh, Dr. North made that uh, the failed back surgery article in 2005. So here we are 15 years later, right? Kind of burgeoning on that exact time frame. And now the all of the data that we're having, all of the studies, all of the the literature that's confirming what we started seeing back then, but seeing it in so many different patients, and so and, and in so many different ways, you know, really, like you said, being able to target different pathologies, being able to utilize different uh, devices, um, waveforms, um, locations of stimulation to be able to really affect patient care. Um, I think it's super duper exciting. Yeah, and just to go a little bit deeper into what. Uh, Dr. Hovas and I have brought up in terms of, you know, having uh, a specific pathology and then and then having a, a device or a, a technique to start with. I think one of the easiest examples currently would be complex regional pain syndrome, because the data for using dorsal root ganglion uh, stimulation (DRG) for complex regional pain syndrome does. Uh, at least based on the research as well as so far my clinical experience um, does seem to uh, have better effectiveness than you know the uh, traditional dorsal column stimulation approach and you know that uh, I know we've talked about this study before but just as reference the uh, accurate study um, which was a prospective multi-center randomized uh, trial that looked at about 150 patients with complex regional pain syndrome and found that the uh, patients who were in the DRG arm had uh, about 81% success rate in terms of receiving greater than or equal to 50% improvement in their uh, pain scores um, compared to uh, uh, around 55% for the traditional uh, dorsal column. Now, that's an example of a spe specific technique being um, uh, optimal for a specific pathology, but I also wanted to bring up, you know, one of the interesting talks that I uh, was had the opportunity to listen to, um, where the overall um, the overall message of the lecture was, "Hey, frequency matters," and we're all familiar with the data showing that the high frequency stem, 10,000 uh, 10, hertz stimulation, um, has shown through the research to be. Uh, uh, potentially superior for uh, covering low back pain, where we traditionally may have struggled with that in the past. Uh, so the overall message of the lecture was, hey, look, frequency you know, does matter in terms of improving symptoms. However, um, I thought it was really interesting that one of the speakers uh, brought up at the end, hey, look, we have these preliminary data. It hadn't been published yet, but it was showing that um, uh, certain patients um, were, you know, depending upon the specific patient with very similar pathology these were all patients with uh, quote unquote you know post laminectomy failback surgery syn syndrome looking at coverage of back and leg pain 
But for patient A, yes, high frequency stimulation they did uh, very well with. Uh, but then patient B, you know, similar pathology, they actually did really good with the uh, traditional um, uh, approach to spinal cord stimulation with the tonic low, uh, lower frequency stimulation. So I think the take home point being that, and Dr. Hovez and I were discussing this earlier, the flexibility of these therapies, these platforms moving forward, I think is going to be really important. And like I said, having a starting uh, point when you're thinking about what you're going to use for a specific patient, but then also being open to the fact that, hey, just like sometimes a medication works really well for one patient, but then for another patient it doesn't, and then we may need to th consider a different medication, I think similar with these uh, therapies ultimately. Yeah, I mean, I think that was definitely a, a large um, subset of the messaging that has kind of come into fruition. Uh, over time, you know, if we go back even just a few years as far as thinking about the way that all of the companies presented their data or, or the way that people were were thinking about a lot of the um, the data that was coming out, it was very specific to, okay, you know, high frequency or, you know, burst or this or that or whatever it may be. This year it felt like the biggest message was choices, right? Different choices different patients, really having an entire array of options to be able to individualize treatment for patients. And that was really a, a different tone than I think a few years ago. And, it, and to me, that's actually fantastic because that's always been the way that I've thought about it was that, you know, and, and you know, maybe the, the data three or four years ago and, and you know, the product selection that at that time might not have necessarily bore that out, but what we're seeing is that the more choices that we have, the more ways that we can target things and options for patients, um, the better it's going to be for our patients, right? I mean, having those choices at the end of the day is going to be good. It is a good idea that we have gabapentin, Lyrica, Cymbalta, nortriptyline, right? Different options to for in, in terms of medication choices, and so of course it makes sense that there should be it should be a good thing that we have different choices when we're thinking about neuromodulation. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I, I guess one of the other takeaways that um, that I get, and I, and I think that the, the data has been going this way for a few years, um, but it is becoming an overwhelming data, is, is really moving neuromodulation forward in the treatment algorithm. Um, I think we, we might have talked about this before. Um, I know I've definitely thought about this a lot because maybe about two years ago we started to see you know, neuromodulation has always been a, a rescue therapy, right? This was, you know, when we thought about this 20 years ago, it was, we have no more options for these patients. What can we possibly do? And then, and that's how the field evolved. Um, and what we've seen, and a lot of us especially that have done this and, and utilized these therapies over time, really did figure this out, I think, earlier, but now the data is really supporting it that this therapy, much like every therapy, works better when it's not the last line of defense, and, you know, and so when everything else has failed, this patient is a very different patient than you know when we're earlier in the treatment algorithms, and and our data is starting to show that we can not only use this to help patients um, before they become you know all the way at the end of the road, but also you know things like that are the uh, chronic conditions 
uh, that weren't being able to uh, to be helped that sometimes people would have ended up going in for large surgeries that you know quite frankly there's not great data for um, are now being able to be helped by neuromodulation um, and so we're seeing this move earlier in the treatment algorithm you know it's sometimes you know unless there's you know a glaring surgical problem uh, you know or, or a very surgical indication like we're seeing this move f ahead of surgery and many times in in our literature and in the the way these products are used and we're seeing that patients are doing better because of it and, and I think that's really exciting yeah and so I think the, the last thing we wanted to make sure we touched on was uh, one of the uh, major uh, uh, research, uh, research studies that is going on and has some preliminary data. Uh, and that <coughs> is specifically an article that was looking at a form of neuro neurostimulation that actually is specifically uh, targeting the glial cells and as uh, you've heard Dr. Hovez and I bring up multiple times. Glial cells, the, glial cells, glial cells. <laughs> the, uh, the glial cells are this, uh, not definitely not new frontier. This has been in progress for years now, but uh, I, I would say maybe potentially in terms of therapeutics because we know we're getting more and more data showing that glial cells do play this major role in the development and the persistence of chronic pain, but we're still working on finding therapeutics that can really positively modify that, positively modulate uh, glial cell activity. And so this form of neurostimulation, uh, uh, specifically called differential target multiplexed spinal cord stimulation, um, uh, has the potential to uh, focus on uh, treatment of glial cells. And so real quickly, we'll just briefly go over the preliminary results, which um, uh, was uh, three-month data, which showed Compared to, because um, this was a, a large multicenter randomized controlled trial, and <clears throat> it showed that compared to uh, traditional uh, uh, conventional spinal cord stimulation, um, patients that received the differential target uh, multiplex spinal cord stimulation, they had 80% uh, <clears throat> of those patients received at least 50% uh, improvement in their uh, pain scores compared to 51% of patients with conventional. Uh, spinal cord stimulation. So uh, definitely statistically significant. Um, but what's interesting, and I think uh, I want to, both myself and Dr. Hovez want to continue to learn more and more about is, is the basic science behind this. Because we know that uh, glial cells, um, uh, and specifically, uh, especially astrocytes, which uh, play a major role in terms of the development and persistence of chronic pain, we know that um, that not all activation of glial cells is bad. In fact, if you look at uh, A1 versus A2 uh, activated or reactive astrocytes, um, which are stimulated by uh, uh, you know, painful stimulus or, or harmful stimulus uh, to the central nervous system, um, A2 uh, astrocytes are actually neuroprotective and, and uh, help uh, neurons to survive um, and versus A1, yes, is going to be neurotoxic. So I guess the, the point being that how is this device preferentially uh, you know, promoting the activity of the uh, glial cells that are going to be neuroprotective and, and um, uh, uh, nurturative to the, uh, to the nervous system versus 
um, preventing the active the activity of the glial cell activity that's going to be detrimental to the nervous system. So I think that's going to be a really interesting component of this that I am excited to learn more about. Yeah, and you know, so for reference. Um, the the DTM waveform which you brought up uh, was something that actually won basic science awards um, at NANS for the past couple of years and actually science basic science awards um, at many conferences over the past uh, few years um, you know really trying to figure out how to uh, look at and target the the glial cells um, and so I mean I think as far as um, potentially groundbreaking literature and science that's coming out this is you know quite possibly one of the more interesting uh, new things that was presented um, at NANS is, as really being able to, to take this and, and bring it from basic science and animal studies um, you know, into human studies and, and actually see, uh, at least in a you know, relatively small uh, early cohort, that there is some uh, significant improvement. Um, one of the things that we had started talking about on this was um, the interesting nature of time, right? I mean. This study that was presented showed that patients were already feeling or getting superior relief uh, even in the trial portion, which is, you know, for most patients um, in the seven to 10 day range. Um, and then the data that was presented was three month data and showing uh, superior clinical outcomes in a t short time frame. Um, in my head, uh, when I think of working through the glial cell system um, and truly trying to make those changes um, in a chronic pain patient, it se I would think that it would take a longer period of time to truly uh, change and rehab that system. You know, when we think about medications, and we talked about this in our um, prior discussion on glial cells. By the way, the fact that we talked about it six months ago and then it became pretty uh, important in the pain management world, I thought was actually pretty cool. Um, <laughs> there, there was a, that was one of the more interesting things. Uh, I shouldn't say more interesting, but one of the one of the cool things about uh, uh, the fact that this came out and the fact that we had already kind of presented a lot of information on it. Um, I feel I got a lot of feedback from people that they, you know, this was actually one of the ways that they had learned about when they heard that this was coming out. So that was that was pretty cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Um, but I mean, it, it seems to me that, at least in my head, and the way that my, I'm trying to wrap my head around the science and how it's going to integrate with our patients, I would expect that over time, you know, maybe in a six to 12 month window, we would actually truly start affecting that entire system. Yeah, and I think there, I think absolutely, and I 100% agree with the with the timeline. I think it's very interesting, and I think there's probably a couple things in play there. Number one, you know, fully understanding what the uh, DTM waveform, its complete mechanism of action, um, and if there may be some other things at play that give it that earlier response. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other thing in play too is us continuing to fully understand the glial cell, uh, you know, system and 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 uh, its impact on pain. Because I 100% agree. My, I, I think my my uh, traditional thought process in terms of uh, glial cells and m modifying glial cells is that you know this has occurred over time and it takes time to have a positive impact on it so um, definitely some ongoing thought into that and and uh, hopefully some uh, further uh, revelations and in, in terms of why why this occurs but yeah no I am um, 
maybe most importantly for everybody, uh, at this conference, Dr. Carvelis, for the first time ever, introduced his glial cells wrap. <laughs> Um, I, I have not been allowed to share it with the world at, as of this point, but the first recording was done, uh, and early response has been positive. Hopefully that video never leaks, and I got a lot of uh, work to do <laughs> before it's... Uh... <laughs> but hopefully we will fine-tune it and uh, create a true song that is worthy of the glial cells. Yeah. Um, but all in all, I mean, a really a fun weekend. Um, we're gonna be sad to see Nans move to Orlando next year. Um, I'm not sure exactly if it's gonna continue to have the same fervor that it's had because Vegas being a much more central uh, location, um, the you know the attendance has continuously risen, um, and you know just being a relatively easy getaway for all of us West Coasters, um, but you know also a nice getaway for you know people in the. Midwest and, and Northeast as far as uh, just trying to escape winter. Um, Orlando's a lot farther away. So we, we shall see how um, the population uh, decides to travel next year. Um, but, I, I, you know, a great conference, always great takeaways, fun meeting up with everybody, and, uh, you know, just kind of seeing what everybody's doing across the country. Like I said, my biggest takeaways um, if, you know, are just the, the amount of, uh, and the breadth of literature and data that has uh, come in. We have so much now supporting not only the use of neuromodulation, um, but all of the different indications that are uh, available uh, to be treated. You know, we are finding that really being able to target specific pathologies and you know, customize things for a patient, having options to be able to, to treat them gives us a better ability to uh, help more people. Um, and you know, hopefully now we have something that may be heading into a different direction. Really looking at you know the the vast majority of uh, cells in the central nervous system being the glial cells, as opposed to what we thought we were always targeting, which is more of the the neurons and interneuron connections. Um, so, fun times for sure. Any parting words, Dr. K? Nope, that's it. Have a good uh, rest of your week. All right, stay tuned for those legal disclosures, uh, and um, also um, see my. Uh, disclaimers in uh, whatever those things are called <laughs> in, in the footnotes. We'll talk to you guys soon. Now for that legal disclaimer, this podcast is for information and educational purposes only. It is not meant to be medical advice. If anything discussed may pertain to you, please seek counsel with your healthcare provider. The views expressed are those of the individuals expressing them. They may not represent the views of Spine and Nerve Diagnostic Center.